This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition with Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Weekends with Walshy starts now. Hello there. Welcome to you wherever you're listening. This is the Territory Story Podcast. It's a weekend, which means weekends with Walshy time. My name is Peter Gowers. I hope you've had a good week. There's plenty happening in the world of news in the Northern Territory. So let's get straight to the heart of the NT Independent Online Newspaper and speak to the editor, Chris Walsh. Walshy, how are you, mate? Hey, I'm good, Pete. Good to see you again this week. You too, my friend. Are you back from the brink of disaster after your uh, editorial last week? Ooh, well, we'll see. All right. That's, <laughs> uh, it's not up to me. I'm not up. It's not my decision on whether or not this place gets destroyed. It's uh, people above me that we've elected who've uh, failed in the modest as the was their charge. Uh, I should say they're above you, my friend. They're they're on an equal footing. Yeah, well, look, yeah, well, you're right, because that was the other part of that last week. I think I kind of um, said some things about journalists, that, you know, and how important that role is to holding elected representatives accountable to the public. And I feel yeah. a lot of times we've seen lately that they've dropped the ball and, uh, and just haven't haven't asked tough questions sometimes and have just bought really nonsense from the government on other occasions, you know, like the four-year crime law in Alice Springs. <laughs> they just said, uh, yeah, okay, well, we'll just report that as fact. And then when <laughs> when thinking people, as we wrote, um, <laughs> looked at it and the police had to backtrack on that and just completely say, no, oh, that's not right. Um yeah, the ABC was still slow to, to come out and, and discuss that or point that out. So, you know, I just, that's a little tip for all the young journalists, and I was talking about it in the, in the news bites, where Files is looking out and thinking at these press conferences, like, wow, these a lot of young baby-like faces looking at me. The only tip to those young baby-like journalists are just don't buy what they're saying. Ask every question you can. Uh, don't believe anything till you see it with your own eyes. And keep asking questions. And even when they give you stats, question those too. You know, like mm. these stats things are all nonsense and can be used to manipulate and, and, and massage a message. And, you know, we're in that that kind of dynamic, if you will, uh, now considering that what's gone on. And we talked about it at great lengths. But we're still nowhere close to getting anything resolved. But, uh, I mean, firstly, that we now have a government employee who's managing who's managing operations of police essentially by determining whether or not uh you know what information gets out to the public and whether that suits the political masters and the labor party and the mm. labor government yeah. um so that's really problematic and we still haven't got to anything you would ask me last week about that um and nathan finn with the ntpa so Woody did go back to him and said, hey, you know, he, he's the president, of course, of the police association now. Yeah. And uh, he had raised some concerns about possible political interference with the news that we broke um, about how this this woman was brought in by the government to oversee crime stats and what, what info gets released. And then we saw the, uh, the proper communications director for police sacked, surprisingly, last week. Um, yeah, so Woody went back to him and he said something like, we've, uh, and, and it'll be in an upcoming story, we've, um, we had a discussion and uh, yeah, we're, we're, you know, we're okay with everything, essentially. Uh-huh. It was something like, you know, yeah, you know, they're saying that it's like, well, but you know, did you question them about this? Like, <laughs> at all? Like, did you, how are you not concerned about this? And then, 
Um, and it, and it seems like that was just like, they didn't really care. And oh, it was something like, oh, this isn't an issue that our members are bringing up or something. Well, no, no members going to because they're going to be afraid to do that. Uh, this goes to the fundamental operations of police and the public and the relationship with the public. So they should be very much concerned about it. But, you know, we saw this week where, <laughs> and it's surprising, I wanted to talk to you about this, but nobody else picked up on it. But the NTPA put out this press release and they were really hard. And then the CLP followed really hard on files on what she said on ABC radio on Tuesday. And if you're confused about that and you don't know what I'm referencing, it's because I listened to her on ABC on Friday, on Tuesday morning. And I thought, yeah, okay, there's no story here. Like she was, there was nothing that you could pull that was interesting. She was to her defense, I guess. And it's not a story that, that, that she seemed or appeared sympathetic towards police who were on leave. She was asked about extended leave for police. And we know, that's become somewhat contentious with the executive. They're really angry about these officers who are on leave. And, uh, and they picked up on some little thing that she said, the NTPA did, and said, look, she's blaming cops for letting down remote communities. And uh, this is disgraceful. And I was like, well, I was like, I listened to that interview. I don't remember that per se. Yeah. But I said, you know, what do you have? You want to go back and have a listen? Maybe I missed it. Maybe I missed something there. But I thought she actually seemed sympathetic towards cops who are on whatever leave for whatever reasons because they're overworked and stuff there. And of course she should be doing something about it. I mean, that's why I'm not going to do a story. Oh, files concerned about cops. Well, if she was, she should do something, but here's where it wasn't fair. They did pick up on something and it was a small thing about, and I think she had said something along the lines of, you know, for them, for officers out in remote places that when they take leave, they feel they're letting the community down. And they kind of twisted that in a way, and I, and I don't know why. Like, I mean, they, they clearly dislike files more than anyone. Yeah. Look, we, we love to, to hold files accountable and, and uh, for anything that she does, um, but that just wasn't fair. That just wasn't right. fair to go after because it was clear that the sentiment she was expressing was that she, she understood that, that the probably officers felt that way, that they were letting communities down, but that they had to take care of their mental health on occasions. Mm-hmm. And um, I have no idea. I do not. It was not explained why the NTPA picked up on this one little bit. And I know, look, and I know that people will say that I did that before when the complexity of the complexity, <laughs> except the difference there was, was that I was showing, we thought that that was interesting, even if she did screw that up or she meant to say that, that, that that line was the catch all for everything was, Oh, it's so complex. It's too complex. Yeah. And then the way she worded that, we thought, no, that's fair. And I explained it on here before and why we did that. This one was different. This one, you got the sense that, that, that it was kind of taken out of context the way the NTPA put it. So we didn't do it. I thought others might have, but nobody else reported on that either. Mm. Um, but anyway, look, we, we got we got so many problems with police still. And like I said, the, the NTPA president um, didn't seem too concerned about the fact that there is political interference going on. But I'll, I'll tell you, there's going to be a lot more about that before, mm. gotcha. before it's done. Yeah. I picked up on that comment that you made yesterday on the news bites about uh, the press conferences and how the chief minister must love going in there. And I thought about it afterwards and I thought, you know, you know you're getting yourself a very young sort of inexperienced press corps when the chief minister knows that she's already got one up on you before heading into the conversation. <laughs> I just yeah. thought, surely we can do better than that, you know. Well, yeah, and then it's just <laughs> it's just the nature of this place sometimes, I guess, and that. Yeah. 
you know, but you just, yeah, I don't know, the editors maybe got to stand up a bit more and just tell the young journalists sometimes, well, you don't just buy what they tell you. Okay. <laughs> like you, you got to just do more due diligence into what they're saying. And anyway, I love to see it. If you've got to point that out, surely something uh, not being taught at uh, journalism school well, what it looks like these days. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know. But um, look, I've been there, been at ABC and the NT News. I know what young journalists are like when they get in there and they are a little uh, shy or nervous or something yeah. to question anything. But that's your job. You're not going to be liked when you're a journalist, Pete. Just ask me. No. <laughs> yeah, well, I've, I've got to live through it vicariously, Chris, and uh, yeah, it isn't it isn't pleasant at times, and it's uncomfortable. But uh, that's the role is to yeah. hold people to account and to not just take the first answer as the fact. <laughs> I know, I know. It would be much easier if we did just do that. <laughs> I wouldn't be up at all hours of the night writing, <laughs> working on things. But yeah, yeah. Got to yeah. So let's get started with the stories because there's a, a whole host of things to talk about and uh, none more serious than this top one where the Territory's top judge is subject of serious misconduct, uh, sorry, is the subject of a serious misconduct complaint. Uh, according to a secret Stella Maris inquiry, uh, tell us all about this, Chris, because it, uh, it dates back for quite some time, but it's been uh, building and building and building. Yeah, it has, Pete. And this is like, wow, yeah, I think I was looking at some of the notes on this was that it was like the late 2013 that the CLP uh, government at the time announced this Stella Maris inquiry into the, you know, peppercorn lease of the Stella Maris site to unions NT by the outgoing at the time uh, in 2012 um, labor government. Yeah. Um, Henderson government at that time. And so, you know, that was going on. I just came in early 2014. So that was kind of all coming. That was like the biggest political story in the <laughs> land at the time. And yeah. uh, I remember how that all went down. And uh, well, I, I wasn't there for the actual thing. I was there at the tail end of that when um, the uh, findings were handed down. And they were pretty scathing against then opposition leader Delia Laurie. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, that, that was something that was surprising, I think, to, uh, to Delia and to Weibel, who was acting as her lawyer pro bono along with Kathy Spur. Um, and so Delia decided, now there was an issue in there about how this guy, John Lawler, who was commissioner of that, uh, inquiry had been told that he didn't have to give her advance notice of any adverse findings. That he that he made against her, um, well, that was problematic. And you know, the person in all of this that I think that a lot of people maybe didn't realize at the time was the at the time the solicitor general for the NT. Now, this is the government's lawyer. This is the one who advises the government about things. Uh, it was a guy named Michael Grant, who is since become the chief justice. And so he was the government's lawyer back then, and he was giving advice, it appears, to uh, to Lawler, who was conducting that inquiry. Um, now, Lawler had said before, and we've reported that, it was something along the lines of that he thought that he didn't have to give uh, the warning that there would be and let them respond to adverse findings that he had found in the inquiry. Um, and they... and. You know, it was implied then that that advice was given by Grant. Anyway, uh, 
yeah, that, that uh, Delia turned around and she did something that at the time seemed a little strange because the, the weight of that Solomaris inquiry wasn't that big a deal at the end of the day, right? Mm-hmm. The, the least of this decrepit old site down there <laughs> for whatever money they could get for it probably was deal. <laughs> and I don't think they didn't get anything, but, you know, it was to take care of it. And there was some sort of significance in the union movement. And so they would keep the building, they would bring it up and uh, keep it going. Um, anyway, never actually went through, but, but that was, but that wasn't, that wasn't the big, huge thing. I mean, it was, but it would, but you know, people got over it and they forgot about it, but Delia couldn't and Delia, uh, then took legal action against Lawler saying that she was denied procedural fairness in the inquiry mm-hmm. represented yeah, pro bono by, uh, Alistair Weivel and Kathy Spur. Now in 2015, Southwood comes back with just this damning conclusions that that Delia and her lawyers uh, engaged in the uh, disengage in this credit strategy with the inquiry. We've talked about that before, where they just stop participating and, and then would later go out and try and discredit it. Um, and and then he Southwood, as the judge in that uh, Lori v. Lawler matter, also made really damning conclusions and findings against Weibel and Spur including, you know, stuff that he had suggested, you know, that they could probably lose their, their practicing license for and, and they want and disciplinary proceedings were going to follow. And so this then went on for years. And you remember back in, um, geez, I think it would have been two years ago or more now, Pete, we talked about this. Now, it had taken like five years. It wasn't until December 2020 that um, this uh, legal, uh, i got to remember what that name is, the Legal Practitioners Disciplinary Tribunal mm-hmm. had come up with their findings in December 2020. Now, this was related specifically to the allegations uh, against Weibel that he had acted you know, with misconduct, that he had not acted appropriately in the whole uh, Stelmaris matter, well, in the, the Lori V. Lawler issue. So, uh the, the, the practitioner, legal practitioners disciplinary tribunal ruled in 2020. Well, they basically cleared uh, the libel of any wrongdoing, but they also called Southwood's conduct into question. They, they, the tribunal, which was made up of three interstate judges. Now that's always interesting, Pete, the moment we have to get people from interstate who kind of see this place <laughs> differently. Yeah. And it's really the only way in the, the legal fraternity here that you get this kind of stuff done properly, I think now, but anyway, we'll get into that in a second. Um, they did find reasonable grounds to believe Weibel's claims that Southwood's 2015 decision was quote politically partisan, suggestive of malice, uh, and and ultimately called into question his honor's fitness to be a judge for Southwood. Now, wow. remember, we, we talked about that two years ago. So that's just to sum up what happened in August. I think we ran that story and we talked about it on here. And so what was happening then was Weibel was filing a complaint against Southwood, right? Because yep. he's saying this guy, he, he was politically partisan. He acted with malice, suggestive of malice. Um and that he was unfit to be a judge. So he he had sent a complaint to then Attorney General Selena Yubo. Now, this was in June of that year, 2021. So it related to those issues raised by the tribunal, as well as other unrelated matters, including, quote, repeated incidents of judicial bullying of lawyers over many years. Yep. So if it's part uh, extraordinary delay in deciding cases, that's it's still going on. Uh, yeah, there's yeah. still... 
he's take he takes an unusually long amount of time, like years sometimes, to come up with his yeah with his rulings on the cases uh, and quote other unacceptable conduct as a judge. There was even a suggestion in there that one person killed themselves as a result of Justice Southwood's conduct. Um, so some pretty serious stuff that was being thrown. Now this was two years ago that all this yep. was coming up. Now. What happened was, so Weibel says, okay, Attorney General, I'd like you to look at this as a complaint into his conduct. And he says this, and and this is, I thought that this really got to the core of what was bothering me of the last few weeks, too, of this place, and you'll get the sense of this. And he wrote this, and he said, uh, Weibel did, to, to the uh, Attorney General. Um, he said, the silence of the judiciary, the Attorney General in her department, the Law Society, the Anti-Bar Association, and the profession generally over the last 11 months is both striking and concerning. Now, this was, he wanted to while investigate, and he's basically saying, like, everybody knows that this finding could come down 11 months before in December 2020. Why didn't anybody do anything about it? Yeah. Like, you had all of these bodies that were there who knew that the one Weibel had been exonerated, but that that had raised serious issues about Southwood. The, the, the Weibel's complaint about Southwood that he had made way back in 2015, too, was basically held up. Um, and, and then there were all these other issues about his conduct, uh, bullying of lawyers over many years, extraordinary delay, other unacceptable conduct as a judge. Nobody did anything. And that just seems to be the way. So what Yubo does, though, Yubo goes back to me. She says, look, you just hang around out in the lobby there until we put together this judicial commission. Now, the judicial commission was established to investigate complaints about judges. I don't know how they did that before, Pete. Sorry, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But, but I'm thinking, like, why, why didn't we have a body <laughs> that could investigate complaints about judges until 2021 here? Yeah. And it was like October. So she says, you know, wait until we get this set up and then you you go ahead and you put your complaint in with them. And he's saying, well, I think you should strike a panel here and have some interstate people come in and look into this guy because he's in a senior role. Now he's like the second most senior judge in the territory. Um, uh, so but he, he holds on and he says, OK, fine. Uh, he then writes the complaint to the Judicial Commission in November. Um, where he outlines his concerns. Uh, I should say, too, though, that the first that uh, Yubo had told him at the time, hang on there and you wait. And she said, this commission will be, quote, capable of dealing with the matters of potential conflict if necessary. Because he said, I don't like the way this is looking. Like, you're, you're building this with all a bunch of local judges who will determine the complaints of other judges. And there might be conflicts of interest going on here. And she said, no, no, they'll, they'll be able to deal with potential conflicts if necessary. Well, and then Chief Justice Grant's appointed chair of the commission in October 21. He oversaw the Southwood complaint. Yep. Um, which has still not been resolved. Now we get into what's happened here now and why there's now a complaint against Grant, the Chief Justice Michael Grant. Now he, uh, you know, he sat there for nine months on the Judicial Commission as chair of the Judicial Commission, looking at this complaint into his mate Southwood and uh, essentially uh Nothing happens for that mm -hmm. time. And so Weibel's getting concerned, saying, well, this is moving very slowly. 
he goes back, Waffle does. He starts looking into, and this is all in letters that we've obtained and the anti-news yep. and, and the Justinian has reported on this too. Um, Waffle goes back and he starts looking at some of the uh, files from around that time. And there's stuff that where the, the, the legal privilege had been waived and it was into Lawler, the commissioner, uh, his solicitors and communications between everybody, including the then solicitor general, who was Grant. Um, now, he, he raises his concern with Grant saying like, well, these documents show what I was calling secret communications we're going on the day after Southwood's decision in the Lori v. Lawler matter um, that they were all communicating and he didn't realize the extent of how they were all, he said, coordinating efforts to put pressure on uh, both, well, on Delia Lori and, and Weibel and, and to an extent Spur. Um, and that was in one of these messages that we've seen, put pressure mm-hmm. on, you know, and he's saying, well, this was done so that we wouldn't challenge this, you know, and it was caused reputational harm. I mean, it caused Delia Laurie, that decision, the Southwood decision caused her the, the leadership of the Labour Party here. Yeah, it did. And ended her political career. Um, yeah. So, and it caused reputational harm to Wyville and Square. So he says to uh, Grant, you know, this isn't, you know, this, why are you, why are you overseeing this when we know that you were involved in the Salamaris thing, you were giving advice to Lawler, the commissioner. There's now emails between you and Southwood talking about disciplinary action to be taken against me and Spur. Yeah. He says, you know, why, why would you oversee this? Why wouldn't you recuse yourself? Now, Grant gets this letter last year and he says, uh, apparently he said to Wavell something about, I've, I've not done anything wrong. Um, he, he then, though, decides that, um, that he will recuse himself at that time uh, from overseeing. Now, it's nine months after he was already involved. Now, Weifel, in writing to um, the current Attorney General, Chancey Pake, he says, look, this recusal now, when seen in the light of the matters raised in my letter, necessarily called into question the commission's handling of the complaints against Southwood over the previous nine months. Now, what also happened in this, at this point was that after uh, Chief Justice Grant recused himself, he disclosed other private correspondence that had not been seen before between himself and Southwood that had started the day after Southwood's decision, as I mentioned. But this was the first time that anybody had seen this. Now it appears he hadn't disclosed this to mm. the Judicial Commission. This is stuff that the Wifel's contending shows a conflict of interest. And then he should not have overseen the Southwood, this complaint from Wifel about Southwood to the Commission. Um yeah, you know, he said uh, uh, it shows Grant, who was then Solicitor General, initiated disciplinary action against Weibel and Spur in coordination with Southwood and others. Weibel suggested in his complaint letter that the correspondence showed, quote, coordinated action to be taken by Justice Southwood and by Commissioner Lawler's legal team for the purpose, it seems, of putting maximum pressure on Ms. Laurie, Ms. Spur, and me to prevent us challenging Southwood's damaging findings against us. It appears the strategy sought to promote the common interests of the CLP government, Commissioner Lawler, Justice Southwood, and Michael Grant himself. Mm. Um, yeah, and at the time that secret correspondence was happening, Southwood was hearing a determining costs against Laurie Weivel and Spur, and him and Grant were talking about all of this stuff. So 
Yeah, uh, yeah, he called it, uh, Weibel said, the secret communications and coordinated actions uh, was uh, should not have occurred, and quote, was plainly improper, at least on the part of the judge and the solicitor general. He added it was clear he never would have received the secret correspondence had he not uncovered some of it during his review of the documents, and the Chief Justice Grant had intended to continue to oversee the complaint against Southwood, despite seemingly being too close to the matter until it was all raised and brought out. Um yeah, so so look, he and just to sum all that up, basically here, uh, you had a guy who's too close to a situation, the Chief Justice chairing this committee that reviews complaints against judges. He was involved in this matter. Part of that complaint was about the Stella Maris inquiry and the and the, the decision by Southwood, which this tribunal found he had questions to to answer for. And Grant somehow thinks that he should be on that panel. And for nine months, he is. And those nine months, it appears nothing happened. Now, we also now we can look at this now that it's uh, another, what, 12 months, I think, has gone by since that happened, since Grant was forced to recuse himself. And again, nothing has happened in this case. Um, but then, do you, I mean, this is a weird question, I know, but do you think they don't know how or what to do with it, Chris? Is that is that why there's the delay? Yeah, well, yeah, that's that's a good question because I think that yeah, one of the things that was brought up, the Wavel brought up even long before was, um, you know, do we need to get people from interstate in here because this yeah. is too close? So, in October 2022, so last October, Wavel made a complaint to the Judicial Commission itself about the Chief Justice Grant alleging misuse of his authority as. Um, Solicitor General, Statutory Supervisor of Legal Practitioners, and as Chief Justice and Chair of the Commission, and, quote, improperly influencing the Stella Maris inquiry, the subsequent litigation, and the professional conduct proceedings, and then enacting to protect himself and Southwood from having that misconduct revealed and examined. Now, it's unclear what the, if the Commission responded to that, but what happened was Justice Judith Kelly was appointed to act as chair to deal with the Southwood complaint last year. Now, Weivel says, look, in his letter to, to the current attorney general, he says, look, there's, there should be no question about the integrity and ability of Justice Kelly. He does say, though, however, he's still concerned that, quote, the scale and nature of the allegations, the standing of the persons involved, because you've got two complaints now, right? You've got the yeah. one into Grant and the South with the original. And then you got another one into Grant for his handling of that. Um, he's saying that the scale and nature of the allegations, the standing of the persons involved, the personal and ongoing professional relationships between the judicial members of the commission and the respondent judges and the chief justice's involvement for nine months as chair make it difficult, I suggest, for the commission to deal with and to be seen to deal with the complaints according to law. So he's saying, yeah, and he says, look, it's neither sensible nor fair to anyone involved to expect these judges to consider with the requisite detachment career imperiling complaints against people who have been their colleagues and I expect their friends and in some cases for decades. Weivel uh, wrote, adding again that the glacial progress, uh, as he called it, of both complaints was not in keeping with the responsibility to protect the integrity of the administration of justice and public confidence in the system. Why has this gone on for so long and nothing been resolved yet? Uh, are we waiting another five years here? Is this, you know, and it just seems to be this delay thing here. Uh, I don't know if that's a tactic or what, but, but there's clearly nothing going on here immediately. So I did send questions to the, um, 
Well, look, uh, Grant and Southwood were informed are currently on leave and could not be contacted for the story. Uh, 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 Chief Justice Grant has denied any wrongdoing to Weibel, and Southwood has previously declined to comment about the allegations against him, with a court spokesman saying in 2021 that it would be, quote, inappropriate for him to respond. No idea why that is, but anyway, that was the line they were going with. Um, the allegations, of course, haven't been proven. Uh, the NT Independent, though, we did send questions to the Judicial Commission, including where the complaint against Southwood currently stands. Let's just start there. That one from nearly two years ago. Where is that? Um, and why the other legal officers on the board did not object to Grant handling the Southwood complaint, despite seemingly being aware of his involvement with the Stella Maris inquiry. Now, he didn't reveal all of the... the uh, the messages, the correspondence, but they would have all known that he was involved intimately with the whole thing. Yeah. Um, th- this goes to, I, I think, yeah, the public's confidence in its systems here once again. And I, and I said that before. I mean, you know, look, I, I spend a lot of time covering uh, politics and we've, we've exposed all the issues in there. Well, not all, but we're, we're working on it. And police got, you know, the, the Zach Rolf stuff. Um, and we see just the, uh, the issues that came out there and how nobody has any faith anymore. Well, now we've got the judiciary itself here. Serious questions being raised about their integrity and how they handle complaints about their own um and how the administration of justice goes down this is just another one i mean we still got questions about the role thing there's questions about calling when these yeah. charges being brought and how how does this stuff happen um yeah and so we went to them no we went to the commission on this stuff so they said a spokesman said on thursday that all complaints are quote dealt with in accordance with the procedures prescribed by the act of course uh and the quote the suggestion in your questions of the lack of due process or impropriety on the part of the commission in dealing with complaints is strongly refuted. Right. Okay, you want to back that up? You want to show us something here? Because we still don't know what the hell's going on. Who has any faith in them? Like, this is so serious. So you've got the, the chief justice of the Northern Territory under a cloud of suspicion over this stuff. And they, they don't seem to, this has been a year, I think, since he recused himself. Mm. And nothing has come of this. Now, it's been nearly two years since the original complaint of Southwood, which is serious enough on itself. And I think a lot of people know about Southwood and all kinds of things that have gone on here and questions about him and what, what he's doing. Um, but they don't address it. Like, if you've got serious, you know, this isn't anybody off the street just throwing uh, wild accusations and complaints. This is a well-respected yeah. barrister in town. Uh, yeah. widely respected saying this is what's gone on you guys have had him on the podcast you've talked to him he's gone through a lot of this stuff yeah. um but now we're starting to see more and we're starting to see in the you know as time wears on that nothing is being done this is the kind of stuff and and look we've talked about john lawrence um bringing this up in court this kind of stuff the long delays that happen mm-hmm. like the fact that it just seems that like the NT's entire justice system is imploding as well as everything else that's going on, right? Now, the last thing that they said about this, and we'll get into the broader discussion a bit more, and they said, of course, that the you know any accusation of impropriety is strongly refuted. The Judicial Commission is not, this is a quote from their spokesman, is not in a position to comment about the existence or progress of complaints under the Act because of the legislative requirements to maintain privacy, the spokesman said. Right. Um, 
yeah, okay. Well, this, this is this is a problem with how this whole act was set up, and it was set up when yeah, Selena Yubo's attorney general. I don't know, man. Like, I just, I, there's clearly there's issues with this, and they don't seem to understand it. And I think it, it you know, and you don't want to see interference, um, political interference in anything here. But it appears that like the the attorney general doesn't have any say. It's all on this judicial commission, and the problem with that is that they're all judges like they've all they've grown up together here they've you know they're friends they're very close and we need we need the the complaints that are made that are legitimate incredible complaints to be reviewed by some outside body i mean that's just the end of it here well it makes sense doesn't it really yeah to do it that way look um i think we can sum it up in a couple of things here chris one is uh i think it just comes down to the complexity of the complexities uh, I mean, that statement, as you're talking, the more you're talking, I was thinking it, it is like that. You're absolutely right. We need some sort of independent um, way to inquire into these things because it, it, it it's such a small gene pool that mm. no one's accusing anybody of impropriety, but you've also got to well, have... Well, there has been a couple of accusations sorry, sorry. of impropriety. Yes, they are. We're yeah. not. But yeah. or, or in, in, terms of, in terms of the looking yeah, into it, yeah. it's like it it makes sense. It's got to be arm's length, right? Yeah, you would think, and, and you would think that that was why this judicial committee... But I don't understand why this commission was set up, and there were concerns raised, and I think the Civil Liberties uh, Australia... I also raised concerns about the way the NT was going about doing this, that this was not going right. to be effective. It didn't have that distance. It didn't have that ability for people who aren't caught up because Darwin is such a small, I mean, you talk about Darwin being a small place, but for, for the legal fraternity, yeah, especially, totally. I mean, it's Michael. just, yeah, everybody knows everybody and what's going on. And like, you know, we run these stories. I don't think it's probably surprised any lawyers. I think they've probably been talking about this stuff. But again, I get back to that issue that Weibel raised. Why didn't anybody say anything about this? When when it comes out, this tribunal, interstate tribunal finds, you know, it exonerates Weibel, but it found it finds that, that it raises questions about the conduct of Southwood. Why didn't anybody at that time start doing anything about that? Mm. And at least like cleaning it up so that you have a, a, you know, senior judges who are beyond reproach that, you know, it's just a clean system. We deal with these issues when they arise, but they want to drag it on. And that seems to be the NT way Um, instead of addressing the issues head on, just drag it out and, and, and let time go by and maybe someone will die. Maybe stuff will happen, you know, in that time. I don't know why you don't just address your problem straight away and fix it, but that seems to be the way they do it here. And yeah. to the to the to the you know <laughs> against what should be a proper process and people's uh, confidence in the system, that's what gets eroded when they delay, delay, delay. Correct, Chris. Perception. We say it every week. We'll say yeah. it again. Perception. I will that's also um, chuck a bit of self promotion in there for this one as well. Episode two hundred and fifty nine of the Territory Story Podcast mm-hmm. features Mister Alava uh, Alistair Weivel, SC. And uh, if you didn't understand anything Chris just said, which I probably picked up about 5% of it, um, have a listen to uh, Alistair's podcast because, as Chris said, he makes um, some of those points really clear as to what were troubling him and, and why he was dealing with it the way that he did. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, look, and, and this one, just to sum it up so everybody gets it, though, I, I tried to do that there is that uh, we, we can go into the details. Job. But yeah, just that, you know, 
It's complaints. These are complaints that were that were raised by individual tribunals issues. They should have been investigated into Southwood, but then Grant got involved. And it appears, you know, he didn't disclose a conflict of interest that he had while he was overseeing Southwood, the complaints about Southwood, and, uh, and then did recuse himself. And um, here we are, though, now because nothing's happened. So it, it's yeah. just it's just more questions being raised about the integrity yeah. of our democratic institutions here. And that's the problem. Yeah. And also the inaction, because yeah. you've got some really, really senior people and you know, if, if there's if nothing wrong has gone on here, people need to know that. It, you yeah. know, it's well, as simple as that. Yeah, so do it quickly, but they haven't, and here we are. Now we're questioning the entire judiciary, and there's some senior judge questions about him. Yes. Now, speaking of questioning, let's move to the next story, because I know that uh, you threw a few questions the way of the ICAC this week, mm-hmm. who uh, either inadvertently or unknowingly or perhaps unwittingly have uh, hired a CLP operative as an investigator. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, this was surprising, baffling. Um, and then maybe in the end, it all made sense. It all made perfect sense. <laughs> but, you know, I've been on here, I've been pretty critical of Richards and his office and their performance to date. I stand by all that criticism, and that's why I mean, well, this is just really the next thing. And I kind of threw my arms up in the air when he got back to us saying that, um, basically indicating that he had no idea that this new investigator he had hired or his office had hired uh, was a, a CLP executive member, uh, party campaigner and fundraiser, branch chair at times, the Darwin branch of the CLP. Um, yeah, it was it was really uh, odd. And, and I guess, but I guess it all makes sense here. Um, so, you know, look, here's what happened. And this is how the story came about. We, we find out about this guy that he's been there. Um, we sent questions. I sent questions to, uh, to Rich's. He came back and I said, look, you know, you hired a guy here. I don't know why you would do this. Um, he works for the CLP. Uh, you know, he's an investigator. We understand he's been telling people at, uh, at an event at the the chief minister's V8 supercars tent last month that he was an investigator for the ICAC, (laughs) Um, which as we have here from one source said, that's the equivalent of being a drug cop and telling all the drug dealers, you're a cop. You're a (laughs) narc. Um, That's a great comment. Great quote. Yeah. So, so look, we just raised this stuff with him and I, and I said to him, I said, and I'll, and I'll tell you this. So I did say in the questions to him, um, we sent him, you know, just questions about this. And I said, Michael, honestly, well, what are you thinking hiring a political party operative? Did it have anything to do in your office, investigations, assessments, whatever? Um, I said, look, if you are investigating the Michael Gunner uh, issue, the travel word scandal that, that we understand he is. And remember Robin Lamley, Gunner yeah. resigns in the middle of this. Uh, Lamley comes out a few days after that and said, well, he's under investigation by the ICAC. The ICAC asked that I not tell anybody mm-hmm. for two weeks. And now Gunner slipped out the back door and resigned. <laughs> um, but I'm saying to him, look, if you're investigating this, you've just given the Labour Party, Michael Gunner, uh, anyone else who might be caught up in that, um, from the Labour Party, a rightful defense excuse 
whatever they want to call it, but they could say, look, this is political. This entire investigation is political. Mm -hmm. This guy brought in a CLP member to investigate us. It's political. It's payback. Um, you know, it's not credible. I, I just don't understand why he would why he would bring the integrity of his investigations and his office into question mm. by hiring a political partisan person to be there. So he gets back to me straight away, Pete. Like this is amazing, <laughs> it's remarkable. Within a few minutes, he gets back to me and he says, You have raised a number of serious matters that I will inquire into. Thank you for raising them with me. I will say nothing further at this point in time. <laughs> And so I said, oh, my. It was your dad of office response. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's it for everybody. Um, except he just started to say, Chris, you were oh, raised. Man. But I cut out my name in the story. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But it's, so I read that. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, he didn't know. And then I've kind of worded these questions. I figured he knew mm -hmm. this, who this guy was, what his background was. I mean, you know, they're saying that they do psychoanalytic testing on people before they hire them, all this stuff. But apparently they can't check their backgrounds to see if they're connected to a political party. Mm. So, um, uh, so I started writing the story. We, look, we, we contacted the, the man in question here, of course, this is CLP, uh, executive management committee member and party campaigner, Cormac McCarthy, not the author. I got to stress that. I wondered that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, although the No Country for Old Men could probably be the title of the podcast there. Um, no, anyway, yeah, he had, uh, Cormac McCarthy had recently resigned from his roles within the party, uh, document show, to take employment, though, as an investigator with the office of the ICAC. Party documents obtained by the Independent show that Mr. McCarthy has been involved in the party for years, including as a member of the Executive Management Committee, acting Darwin Branch Chair. Also, he organized fundraisers and campaign activities for the CLP, uh, including at last year's Fannie Bay by-election, one that was necessary when Gunner finally pulled yeah. the plug and left. Yep. So, yeah, uh, yeah, so McCarthy's, though, I mean, he is, he does have background. I mean, he's not high, being hired just because he worked for the CLP. That would yeah, be... Yeah. Crazy, even though who knows these days. But anyway, McCarthy is a former anti-police detective. Uh, uh -huh. Hasn't been for some time, though, we understand. But uh, also previous owner of Darwin's Hog's Breath Cafe. Mm. A fine Darn family rip. establishment there, yes. Um, now, yeah, as we said, he's been going around town telling everyone he works for the ICAC. Um, and this is numerous people telling us this, and it's, well, you'd think he'd be a little more um, discreet. Maybe discretion isn't necessary. I'm, I'm putting it down to reverse psychology. I've yeah. thought about this more. He, he, he's um, using the Jedi mind trick on them. <laughs> I don't know how well it's working, but look, everything else they've tried has failed, Pete. So if that's the new tactic, <laughs> then that's the new tactic. Um now, yeah, so we sent those questions. Uh, Richard seemed surprised, but he did come back three hours later um, with some uh, uh, answers for us. Well, at least it's this little statement that he does in doublespeak and, uh, you know, repetitive language or and some sort of sophistry. Was that what I was saying? But I wouldn't even call it that when it comes to riches because... That's giving him too much credit. Um, it's just, he just, and the, the whole problem with this too, Pete, is this, is that he's calling this guy an operations officer, mm -hmm. right? He's a, it's an operations officer. Okay. Well, what the hell does that mean? Um, now we understand and they change. Classified, like, Chris, he can't tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think he would say something, but like that, but 
But we know that a guy named Jason Blake is the director of investigations, right? Now, Jason Blake is a former anti-police officer as well. He may very well know Cormac McCarthy. I don't know. Um, he is now the director of operations, right? So they've changed right. titles. So so he's he's using the city. He doesn't want to say investigations anymore. Probably one because they're not carrying out many investigations. But he's calling it operations now. Investigations are operations, right? Mm-hmm. you got to get in this guy's mind. And I, I don't like being in there. Um because yeah, it's just it's just nonsense. Call things what they are. Anyway, Riches responded three hours later that uh, McCarthy had been hired on June thirteenth as an operations officer following a competitive recruitment process, adding that he is quote very well qualified for the position. No doubt about that. I don't know Cormac McCarthy. Never met him. Ate at his restaurant before. That's about all I know of the guy. Um, it's just the perception here when you're getting into the ICAC and stuff like this, where, you know, it's politically sensitive stuff that will be investigated. It is a very bad look to have a party operative in there. Um, and yes, he resigned. Of course, he resigned his position a couple of days before he signed a contract with the ICAC. Of course, he did that. But, you know, there, there were other questions about advice he was giving to Leah Finacchiaro as, as uh, most recently as May when she was going through her no confidence motion. Yeah. Now there's party sources saying that she had mentioned that Cormac McCarthy invited her to attend the Darwin branch during sittings in parliament around budget time, because he thought that she could cut off the no confidence motion and protect her leadership. If she went and actually explained herself to uh, the people in that branch that he was very heavily involved in. Yep. So you got a guy just a couple months ago, given the, the opposition leader advice on her political career who's now, you know, in there as an operations officer. Well, you know, it's just a bad book, man. And, 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 you know, I'll get back to the beginning of this too. I remember at ABC when I was at ABC and they were finally putting together the ICAC and the ICAC again, even get back further only happened because of reporting that we did into stuff that was going on. And John L. Frank said, fine, you can have your ICAC. And um, and it was anyway. And so I've been following this intimately. I've been involved with this thing from the beginning. And I remember in 2018 when they were setting it up and I was at ABC, um, questions were raised by everybody when they announced that the manager, the general manager of the ICAC was the chief justice's brother. Right. So uh. Michael Grant, who we've just spoken about. His brother, Matthew Grant, was brought in to be the first general manager of the ICAC. Ken Fleming, the previous commissioner, brought him in. Yeah. Like, we went to people. I worked with uh, different ABC journalists there. We went to people in, um, I think we had a guy in Tasmania who was part of a national legal body who said, like, well, we wouldn't even do that in Tasmania. <laughs> wow. Honestly, he said, like, that is way too close, guys. Like, you know, yeah. don't do that. It's bad. And we the see how that ended. Or something. Yeah, and we see how that ended, right? Is that, you know, Grant then surprised Riches and left and was working for the cops again while he had information about uh, sensitive investigations and stuff. It was all, so it was just a big mess. And now I think Riches is inviting this again by hiring this guy to come in. I Again, it's nothing personal. It really is nothing personal. It's just should be avoided. Any type of these conflicts that, that are apparent you know, perceived inherent, I, I would say they are inherent conflicts of interest. Mm. Um, so now Rich has said, and he wanted and he said, and I'd be very grateful if you publish my entire response to you. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm not doing that, okay? Because it's bullshit. <laughs> Frankly, it's bullshit. 
his entire response, like he doesn't answer the questions that we ask him. He does his little statement and he's using different words that don't have any meaning anymore. Like anyway, but I look, I, but to be fair to him, I'm like, I went and I read it and I reread it and I reread it. And I made sure that I got his main points that actually make sense in the story because mm. we should let him defend himself in his office over this. So he says that uh, the riches, as uh, and we pointed out, the, the NT Independence understands an operations officer is the new handle for what was previously called an investigator. And he's not denied that riches. We said, but he's an investigator. And here's what Riches says. He says, McCarthy had been upfront, quote unquote, upfront about his party political allegiances and that he believes McCarthy has had, quote, no political engagement since taking the role with the ICAC. Andy? Well, he's been so upfront that uh, Riches didn't know about it. That's how upfront he's been. So it's only the commissioner who didn't know, but apparently the others did. Notwithstanding, and then this goes to his leadership again, but anyway, notwithstanding, there have been and will continue to be mitigation strategies to avoid any perceived conflicts of interest. He has, for example, been restricted to access certain investigations. That is a standard practice in my office for any staff member where there is the slightest risk of an actual or perceived conflict of interest. His manager and director, uh, and that is, we believe, former anti-police officer Jason Blake, are aware of his previous association with the CLP and will continue to monitor for potential conflicts. Again, that is the approach taken in relation to any person who has an actual perceived or potential conflict of interest. I am satisfied that appropriate mitigation strategies are in place. Mm. And that sounds like riches. Now, he added that all decisions to commence investigations are made by uh, my delegates or me and not investigators. And that seemed to be a point he wanted to stress. Um, okay. okay, yeah, we're not surprised by that. I didn't think he would be making the calls on things. Yep. Yeah, he said anyway. It sure doesn't get to choose any? No. <laughs> yeah. um, he had said that, uh, yeah, that yeah, I don't think he, one of the other things was that he wasn't involved in any investigations yet or something. He hasn't, because he only started last month. And he, and he won't be involved in any of these MLA, yeah, like, like it said there, that uh, uh, nothing to do with uh, politically sensitive things. Although I would, you know, um, I would, would suggest you, that. What would you be doing at the ICAC if you're not involved in any politically sensitive? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, Interesting. So, yeah, that, that's... Um, that's how we did it anyway. Look, we had to go to Leo Finocchiaro here about this. And we said, um, you know, we said, uh, we have to ask that question. We said, is this some sort of elaborate plot by the CLP to infiltrate and influence the office of the IGAG? Did you know about this? <laughs> well, yeah, because, I mean, she knows this guy quite well. He's helping her out on her no confidence motion. So, yeah. so she says, um, she emailed back fairly quickly as well. Uh, flatly rejecting that McCarthy had invited her to attend that Darwin, Darwin branch meeting on May 10th, which it does appear was held before he commenced work with the ICAC. So that's good. But still, we're still saying pretty close there. Adding that she has, quote, never discussed McCarthy's role at the ICAC with him. And I'm not aware of what his role is or when he commenced. Uh, she further said McCarthy's role, and they keep spelling his name wrong. Anyway, McCarthy's role with the ICAC is a matter for him and the ICAC. Leo Finocchiaro said the ICAC's independence is entirely respected by the opposition. Recruitment decisions are a matter for the ICAC. I will not comment further on individual ICAC employees. Um, 
So there you go, I guess. I mean, she wanted to distance herself. Sounds like a stern rejection, Chris. <laughs> yeah, she didn't want anything to do with it. Because, but, like, I'm sure that she knows politically that if it was reversed and, and Richard had hired a labor guy, she'd be the first one coming out saying, oh, this is bad, this is rigged. Mm-hmm. The perception here is very bad. Um, yeah. Anyway, McCarthy himself did not respond to questions that we sent him. And, uh, yeah, we know about Rich's telling us in his last month he was having a difficult time recruiting for crucial roles in his office, mm. um, which has led the office operating an estimated 20% below his capacity, which has impacted his ability to investigate corruption here. Uh, Rich's executive assistant resigned in scandal last year after she was charged with disclosing confidential information and later pleaded guilty to the charge for posting a confidential letter to the ICAC on her Snapchat account. Account. All right. That's um, making it public, isn't it? Yeah. And she had, she was right in there. She was the secretary for the operations committee that received reports from investigators and provided recommendations to the commissioner. Um, yeah. So that's where we are. But I, I'm just telling you, this is not a good look. And uh, we get back into his leadership here, riches in this role. And to let this happen and to seemingly not know about it is very concerning, very, very concerning that he had to go to somebody and say, wait, why did we hire this guy? And why didn't you guys tell me that he was connected to the CLP? Uh, Don't worry, Michael, we've got that. We're mitigating the risks here now. Perceived conflict of interest. He doesn't really have one. (laughs) By the time this guy gets around to doing a report, Pete, I don't think many people are going to have much confidence left in him and his office. Well, Chris, unlike you, I'm pretty confident with the recruitment process because it was competitive. So, you know, once you throw the word competitive out there, <laughs> it's all about yeah. board, son. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that in this place. Uh, yeah, and especially when he's saying, like, I can't get people. I'm just having a real hard time, and I don't know why I'm having a hard time. But then they're going, and they're like, so is the standard been dropped? I mean, clearly it has, and... Again, this is nothing personal on McCarthy. I, I don't know him. I've never met him. It's just a bad look all around. Yeah, and no doubt I'm going to be hearing more about this from you, Chris. So uh, we'll we'll park that for this week. But, yeah, look, overall, I think you're right. It's, again, perception. It's just the look. I'm sure there's things that can be said and done that uh, can mitigate any risk, but yeah. it doesn't look very good at this stage. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> anyway. Let's move on to uh, the next story because uh, the Northern Territory government have decided that uh, they're going to weigh in on federal issues again, which they like to do from time to time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Chief Minister's raised the crock culling issue again after the la- latest attack at Wongai Falls this week. Yeah, well, look, the, they'll only rate, wade into federal issues, Pete, if they need a distraction from something <laughs> else going on. And that's a very yes. popular distraction and well-used distraction here and this is like goes back to what i was saying and you know it used to be a pretty safe bet for a politician to complain about canberra an empty politician and everybody be on your side now if files does it people are like well wait a second uh the feds aren't really that bad <laughs> it's you files yeah. you a problem and it's your it. team anyway yeah so so this one though of course we we know about that uh that incident out there, Wongai Falls, where a 67-year-old man was um, was attacked, had his arm uh, gashed, I guess, bitten by a salty, no less. It wasn't a freshie out there. Yeah. Uh, saltwater crocodile, I think 2.4 meters or something. Um, 
at the time people were saying, oh, it's probably three, four meters. And yeah, anyway, that was, uh, I think, frightening. By punching it in the face. And- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, that's what you're supposed to do. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, look, and that was just a lot of tourists there that day. And it, and it seemed like a pretty terrifying ordeal for everybody involved yeah, because they're yelling, crock, crock, the guy's bleeding. You got people trapped on the other side by the by the actual waterfalls. And um, what's going on? How many crocs are there? How big is it? So it was a terrible thing. Anyway, they did end up shooting the crowd, killing them later that night. Um, and uh, the 67-year-old the gentleman is apparently recovering in hospital, or he was earlier this week. Yep. So uh, expected to make a full recovery, which is good. So now... Give you a tetanus for that, wouldn't I, Chris? <laughs> yeah, something. <laughs> I, like, yeah, I don't know. You get proc tooth in you. Um, anyway, look, yeah, so Files comes out and starts um, suggesting raising the issue again of... of crocodile calling here uh she said i think it's time for us to consider do we need to go back to culling considering the significant increase in the crocodile population and the impact it's having not just on our tourists and visitors but also locals she said at a press conference on tuesday i don't know if the press conference was called to discuss this or it was something (laughs) else and then they asked her about it i honestly it seems to me it might have been that they called it to discuss this because they want an issue that you know yeah, could be contentious, but uh, it's deflecting be, from our real issues. For them. Yeah, yeah, then it's deflecting from our real problems here that they're not addressing. Anyway, she said this one is a conversation that I think needs to be had. It's a conversation with the traditional owners and land councils and a conversation with the Commonwealth government. Uh, yeah, so um, she said, uh, now this has gone on, I, I told you, Pete, for, for years. I mean, go back yeah. to the early days of the, the beginning CLP government. Um, we're talking about safaris and stuff like that. I was disappointed that they didn't ask files about that. Like, you know, you want to do a call, well, then why aren't you doing safaris? This is yeah, an idea yeah. that's been well-traversed again. Yep. Um, Get some international yeah. tourists in with oversized weaponry. and. <laughs> well, look, it's an idea that I, I remember Giles raising it very prominently at the time. And uh, I think Scullion, the senator at the time, not just Scullion, was on board. And they were saying, like, yep. well, this will create um, job opportunities in remote communities and stuff that they'll be the, the guides on these uh, crocodile safaris that you know, yeah. bring money into the community and, and will be positive all around for everybody. You have a, a certain limit on how many can be hunted. Uh, anyway, I'm not even sure the files got into any of that. I mean, uh, this doesn't even seem like it was well thought out on her part. I think she told the NT News yesterday to keep this moving along and the NT News is devoted <laughs> I don't know how many pages. I don't. I don't think anyone reads the actual hard copy anymore. But I saw they were doing their, you know, DefCon box where they was like, "Oh my God, this is on now." We're talking about crocodiles, and yeah. uh, and probably um, yeah, gave way too much uh, time and, and publicity to it. But Fossil told them, "Look, I've I've sent the letter to Albanese. I've sent the letter now. This is serious, guys." <laughs> and um, yeah, well, I don't think so, and we'll see what happens, but. Yeah, credit to them, I guess, for creating uh, a distraction. A diversion. Yeah, yeah exactly. Dear Elba, can we shoot him? Can we shoot him? Can we shoot him? Can we shoot him? Please, <laughs> can we shoot him? But I think, like, you know, you got to have strategies. You got to understand what you're doing there. And I, I'm not sure that that involved much of that, whatever she sent. And again, it looks like a knee jerk thing. Like, why? You yeah. know, because you've got one issue here. Are you bringing up 
um, well, I mean, look, you had another crowd who ended up in Bitter Springs late last week or on the weekend as well. So that was concerning and they had to shut that down. Um, And she was saying it impacts on tourism, it impacts on locals. Uh, We've got crocodiles looking for different areas. And so they're pushing further into spaces where they perhaps haven't been before. Um, Okay. (laughs) They're exploring. Yeah. That's what they did. She doesn't like it. And so uh, anyway, but like I said, yeah, um, it's been brought up before. I don't think it's going to go anywhere now. I think this is just a a thing, a political distraction for a couple of days. Well, yeah, it it does feel that way. And um, you mentioned before about whether there was any plan in place, but you know that the uh, the government always like doing their plans after things get approved or organized. So, or after things get go really, really yeah, wrong. That <laughs> comes later, they, mate. Yeah. <laughs> then they got a great plan. Yeah. yeah exactly. Terrible. All right. Let's move on to the next story. Uh, this is uh, an interesting one because, well, I mean, they're all interesting stories, but this one seems to have a lot of vitriol in it. Labor uh, used firefighters to get into power. And now they're worse than the CLP, according to a firefighter. It's pretty strong comments. Well, not only that, Pete. They're the worst people on the planet. <laughs> uh, that's uh, that quite, no, quite a name to call someone. With no hyperbole <laughs> practiced at all in that. He, he said this. This is um, a fire station officer, David Lines. Now, Woody was there at the press conference for them this week, and it's quite an issue. And Woody was saying, like, this guy, uh, pretty serious about everything here. I mean, he was very credible, was very articulate in what he was saying. Um, and, and basically what he said, and, and he's kind of encapsulated everything here, is the firefighters are frustrated and angry. Um, he said, look, you know, we don't have a contract now. This has been a thousand days going on where they haven't got a pay rise and the, the, the negotiations have stalled. Um, he said, uh, yeah, the, the, the firefighters were frustrated and angry about labor using them to get into government while campaigning on cancer legislation while they were uh, now, which they were now not updating mm. that uh, and criticizing the CLP at the time before the 2016 election over the wage policy, but then bringing in a worse one. He said, David Lyons said, this has dragged on longer than ever before. Labor sells themselves for the workers, but they are further behind than the CLP were when they, Labor, were supposedly supporting us against the CLP. When Gunner was putting forward that it had been two years since the CLP had done anything for us, now the ALP has eclipsed them, and they are at the point where they are looking towards 1,000 days, he said. They have just dropped us like a hot rock. They are just the worst people on the planet, these guys. They just don't get it, and they really don't want to either. And, um, yeah, look, that the frustration, you get it there. I mean, Absolutely. I think this guy summed it up. He's been around for a while. He see, he's seen how labor treat people. They got in elected um, by, by using firefighters and saying, oh, we're going to you know, have compensation. We're going to do this legislation, and none of our fires should be getting sick. And, oh, look, the CLP, they're dragging on their contract dogs for over two years. Do you know what's going on now? And to make this even more insulting and worse is that Paul Kirby, is now doing these meetings because I don't know the public employment commissioner. She just left and threw her hands up and said like, something's wrong here. Um, anyway, Kirby cancels a meeting over the new contract because he said he was too busy on the Northern territory show circuit. 
<laughs> running his show bags down. <laughs> yeah, which is about what, what Kirby should be doing um, and not being a minister of anything. But he says, and then the CLP came out this week saying, oh, yeah, he's choosing fairy floss over fireys. <laughs> and uh, Kirby's hitting the show circuit. He's back on the road again for another exciting year. It's a carny. Um, and no, I'm sorry. Like, I know carnies, and I don't mean to insult carnies by that, by saying Kirby's one of them. Because, look, uh, oh, that is just a bad way, though. I mean, he pissed off a lot of people. I saw the ABC was finally reporting it today, two days later, about that. The Kirby's on the road with the with the show circuit and can't do this. But this is pretty serious. These guys are the last group not to have their uh, new contract in place. Um yeah, and it's just what's happened. The union says you cannot do that when you have hardworking firefighters waiting for a pay increase. This is Kirby taking off on the yeah, show yeah, yeah. while you're going around making yourself look good at a show circuit. Also, we have a complete breakdown of our working relationship with the fire service executive. It just does not exist. Remember Spain there, Mark Spain, calling cops on them during this yeah. protected action that was going on. Yeah, there, there's something seriously wrong here. Something seriously wrong, and I don't think that the government or the uh, executive for the fire services have have it in them to fix this at this point. Like I don't know what what you need to do, bring in uh, people from outside again to to try and figure this one out because there seems like a lot of bad blood in this one and, and a lot of bitterness now, and um, yeah. the fires feel disrespected. And you look at what happens, and you think like, yeah, well, I mean, why can't they all be at the table here now? The unions have been able to get deals for everybody else. There's clearly personality issues involved here in this one. And, uh, you know, from from what side, we're not sure exactly. But when you look at how it's all gone down, the government hasn't kind of made those efforts. that the, It appears they did with other groups to get yeah. deals done. So, What's troubling yeah. about this too, Chris, is uh, I reckon this is the second time in as many months as you've said to me that a minister was unable to make a crucial meeting where last time it was the tourism minister uh, sent some lackeys to go and meet with one of the airlines. Yeah. And now we've got the, the minister responsible for getting our firefighters who, let's be honest, are a pretty bloody important part of society, uh, particularly you know when we're in the midst of the dry season. Mm. Uh, yeah. You know, can't be bothered getting there to, to, to turn up to – get this negotiation done. And, no. and okay, you can tell me that you're also the minister of the show society, no problems, but what's <laughs> more true. important, handing, handing out show bags at the show and shaking hands or making sure our firefighters are, are happy and, and happy to turn up to work? Uh, Pete, that's exactly right, man. Yeah, yeah, priorities here. But look, these guys have I've said this before, they're going to put themselves ahead of Territorians every time. Mm. The selected Labour government, and look once you have again, said that. Yeah. yeah, once or twice, and again <laughs> another fine example of that. Um, so we'll see where this goes, but yeah, this is just messy and bad all around for everybody and for us, for yeah, Derek yeah. like you say. Yeah. So um, I don't know what needs to be done, but uh, something needs to be done, and somebody needs to come in and, and fix this. But right now, it's going to keep going on, and their industrial actions. Look, I, I think there was another issue coming out here, but. They've been forced to work to sign agreement saying that they could work three shifts in a row or something. Like yeah. this is just yeah, just watch where this goes because this is it's going to get worse here and um, mm. it's not good. 
It's not. And and this also plays into uh, directly what we talked about some time ago now, where we had that economist on the podcast who talked about what happens when governments rack up big debts. And, you know, one of the things that he said was basically your, your basic services will start to go to rack and ruin. Uh, mm. Ambulances, police, yep. uh, firefighters, um, roads, these types of things. So uh, the the saddest part about all this is exactly what he said is is playing out in front of us. Yeah, yeah, Pete. Yeah, mix that with a bunch of other yeah issues of, of leadership or lack of leadership. And yeah, I mean. That's what I'm saying, man. We're in a broken place here. We're on the precipice of complete social collapse. And here we go, another yep. example. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next story because this also probably highlights an issue that's been ongoing. Yeah. Talking time. about collapse here. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Um, a, a building commissioner's role is being considered uh, in a consultant's review of the industry oversight in regards to building, Chris. Uh, yeah, look, there's not a lot of details on this. Now, that that is, like, Eva Lawler put out a, a statement or a press release about this, now saying that um, uh, that they that they want some changes to government oversight of the building industry, uh, which could include a building commissioner who would oversee things. Now, that, to me, like, look, I, I, haven't, got, I haven't had an opportunity this week to talk to some of the the industry guys, and I, and I will, and we'll have more, but we, we thought this was important to get out to get that, to see what people were saying about it. And, um, but I, I think that they kind of have that already. And our friend, Mark Meldrum, and that, you know, he's the kind of building inspector, the guy in charge of ensuring that, that the buildings are safe and that everybody's doing their thing. So they want to, yeah. I mean, it's like how they created, what was it? The infrastructure czar, <laughs> what, what she called the infrastructure something commissioner that's what it's called and then they and then they had andy there disney world guy uh, and he was the uh, commissioner for private investment and it's like all these jobs that already exist and then they make them new things so who knows and it'll probably be uh maybe kirkman will come back from the disappearance (laughs) to become the building commissioner i doubt it i I don't think we're ever going to see him again around here but uh Anyway, look, yeah, I don't know. They're, 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 of course, these issues have come up after our reporting on a whole a whole bunch of things start wherever yeah. you want to. You got Bellamax still unresolved, TIO Stadium, um, you know, got to the point where the ICAC was saying that he's looking at what's 300 and something public buildings that may not be suitable. Uh, so the government's still trying to find a way here. So in, in the statement, Lawler said the government was considering having a building commissioner and that presently building licensing regulation and dispute resolution were administered by three separate government departments. Well, of course, of course they were here. I mean, Jesus Christ, yeah. Uh, Lawler said a consultant, of course, will be appointed to recommend to her changes to governance and oversight. She did not say how the consultant would be selected, how much the review was expected to cost, or when she anticipated it would be completed. Can I suggest that it will be after the next election? <laughs> Let me just say that. And the cost um, is irrelevant, Chris. Yeah, because I'll tell you this. Yeah, it always is here. Uh, but they will not want to bring this up next year before the election at any time. Mm. This will be the last time we hear anything from Evil Lawler about this until after she's reelected. And the, and the new 
And the Lawler government is swept into power. She is the leader. And then she fixes everything. The supreme leader. Yeah, no, no, that won't happen either. But um, yeah, th- this is, yeah, we're not going to see much. She said, but as part of the review, we will examine whether an administrative model overseen by a building commissioner would improve governance and efficiency outcomes for all licensing regulation and dispute resolution processes in, in the building industry. Um, now, Master Builders Chief Executive Ben Carter said the industry looked forward to contributing to the review. And they included him in the government press release for some uh-huh. reason, and he must have consented to that. So good for him. We <laughs> uh, quoted in a government press release. I, think you're, eh, I don't know what's going it's on there. Big fella. Yep. So, um, anyway, yeah, like I said, we won't hear anything else about this uh, from the government, but I get a feeling we will on some other things um, mm. before too long. When I read the story, I, I uh, immediately went to the creative side of my brain and I thought, uh, I went to that kid's um, story of the big bad wolf and mm-hmm. I was just I was just thinking like that the big bad wolf would come and uh, huff and puff and blow over. Advised, <laughs> advised them on, you know, what he could huff and puff and blow over <laughs> because, you know, honestly, some of those places such as the ones in Bellamac, which have literally been condemned without yeah, being actually... Uh, you know, without the people being moved from them. Well, somewhere, somewhere, yeah. Yeah. We still got people living out there, and that's what I'm saying. I think there's going to be – let me just tell you that. There will be more stuff about that, and the government's not going to like it. But but that's what I'm saying. The the, the related issues that um, TIO, we already know that's just a complete stuff up. But, um, yeah, there's some really serious stuff that hasn't been dealt with by this government, uh, and we'll have more. And the big bad wolf may be involved. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's move on to the next one. Uh, this is a troubling story related to Impex and the plant being restricted to just essential staff as part of an unexplained safety measure, Chris. What do we know? Well, yeah, look, this was uh, a strange one, Pete. And we went to Impex today, Thursday. We went to Impex yesterday. It appears this happened late last week that there was some incident hmm. at the impact site that um, has now resulted in restricted access uh, only to essential staff as part of safety measures there. Now, we're not sure what the incident was. So we, we did go to uh, Inpex. They got back to us yesterday saying, look, we're, we're working on a statement. You'll get it soon. Uh, I'm heading out on leave. The media girl told us, so you get it from someone else. We're just having it uh, translated from Japanese into English. <laughs> well, and then I just think the, the funny, the like on a Wednesday afternoon, just out of nowhere, random Wednesday in July, she says, well, you caught me. We're going to get you a statement, but I'm leaving town. I'm out of here. See you later. But somebody will get back to you. And it's, wait, wait, it's Wednesday. Who leaves when you on get a back, Wednesday? young lady? That's a one-way ticket. <laughs> yeah. And so she disappears and someone else. And then Woody and I go on a lunch today saying, we, we, we never heard back from them. Like, what the hell's going on? So we did get a, an email while we were having lunch. Um, and and this is what they said now. Uh, the spokeswoman uh, said in a statement that, quote, operational measures required impacts to carry out flaring as part of its production safety system 
Uh, she said she would not say if there had been any sort of incident at the plant or if there was any damage that needed to be fixed. But I think you can get you, you can kind of safely assume some things here. Uh, By saying that you won't say it. Yeah. Well, this was it. And then she said no one was harmed. Oh, okay. No problem. <laughs> well, okay. And as a safety precaution, site access has been restricted to essential personnel only. Because there's only 5% of the building left. Yeah, to allow operational teams to focus on returning to normal operations. So they're not in normal okay. operations. Right. Here we know that operational flaring will continue into early next week when it is expected that all employees will mobilize as normal. She said, um, right. Uh, yeah, of course, we know about uh, this LNG project and the. Uh, it coming here anyway. Look, th this is somewhat concerning because we're not really getting the full story here of if there was an incident, um, and then there seems to be something has gone on here. We're not allowed there, and I don't think it's pistol flaring stuff. From what we understand from people we've talked to, we're trying to get more information now, and hopefully we should by the time the podcast gets out. I would just say this too, though, that something that we should all be aware of is that if there's issues where. You know, impacts isn't impacts isn't operating at full capacity or anything uh, might affect us. And yeah. we thought that we still had uh, a few years before we had to sharpen our rat hunting sticks. <laughs> Turns out we may only have a few days. And, um, and also, if you can use less lights in your house, that'd be helpful. <laughs> very helpful right now. Um, yeah, look, because because we know that ENI and the black tip thing, and we know the last we heard, Impex and Santos were providing us with gas because ENI has dropped the ball and there's court processes going on. Uh, court action between uh, ENI and uh, Power and Water Corporation here. And so Impex has given us some gas to keep the lights on Santos. Santos closing up their business there, I guess, until Barossa comes on. And mm. so... Uh, yeah, th this puts us in a precarious situation and one that I, I don't think anyone really thought we'd be in. But again, just right now, as I'm talking on Thursday night, we don't have enough info on all of that. But but look, we we do know that Impex is providing us gas. So we hope that there's no um, upcoming catastrophe or any, you know, giant blackout here. But uh you, you just never know. And, and yeah, by Saturday anyway, we should have more information about that and you'll know. And just a piece of advice, if you are planning on uh, releasing some sort of uh, media release anytime soon, if you say, we're not going to say if there was an incident, but we should be, <laughs> we should be returning to normal soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. We figured it out. <laughs> we will figure it out, yeah. I know we're dumb, but we're not that dumb. Anyway. <laughs> All right, uh, Chris, the CLP have got the answer to fixing the tourism industry, it seems, with uh, <laughs> new tourism vouchers needed apparently to uh, keep the industry afloat. Yes, well, apparently, as we know, we've talked about this before, the numbers are not very good for this uh, tourism season, although I think anecdotally, if you go anywhere around, you will knock in, you will bang into a tourist, somebody carrying <laughs> a bag and doing something anywhere in town. Mm. Um, or around any public place, I should say. So anyway, uh, but down in Central Australia, friends down there, apparently things uh, not going very well. So the CLP's calling now for 
the government to take a million dollars out of their uh, uh, $35 million market harder budget, as they're calling it, um, uh, to, to uh, bring in another round of those very popular tourism vouchers that we saw during the pandemic that got people moving around the territory. Yeah, uh, yeah so... Uh, Shadow Treasurer Bill Yan and member for Breitling, Josh Bergwine, proposing that the million-dollar fund be allocated to a round of tourism vouchers for tourists visiting the central Australian region as a dollar-for-dollar match up to 200, similar to before, uh, which Mm. follows that successful uh, voucher program during the pandemic. Now, um, yeah, Tourism Central Australia CEO Daniel Rochford uh, has supported the plan as well. Um, Yeah, Bergwine telling... Uh, media central Australian tourism businesses need urgent help if they're going to survive what is one of the weakest peak seasons we have ever seen. What we are hearing loud and clear from tourism operators is that crime in Alice Springs is keeping tourists away and they need urgent action. Mm. Uh, yeah, well, we've been talking about that for, for a long time. Yeah, uh, Bergwine said the files allowed crime to get out of control in Alice and its reputation to be trashed. Quote, now she needs to come to the table with something to help tourism providers. Um, yeah, and, and look, you know, and then instead they've come up with this. Oh, well, we got a big budget for marketing and promotion. <laughs> and it's not that, and that isn't immediate, as you know, either, Pete. They're not going to yeah. do something tomorrow that all of a sudden 10,000 people are going to fly into Alice Springs. No, the next off. day. Yeah, so. Yeah, to, to have that big a budget for, for something like that, advertising and marketing. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, it looks like, you know, maybe there should be some money. Because the first one you see that, you're like, ah, you really want to get into uh, spending money that we don't have on that thing. But if you're taking it from a marketing budget that these fools yeah. have given themselves, well, it's something more useful than paying advertisers. And, you know, Do they have to justify where they spend or, it? Uh, what, on the on that marketing thing? Yeah. I, ultimately, they would, whether or not you and me will ever see that. Or yeah, we'd have yeah, right. I would, I would imagine that a lot of it's spent on the spent on the influencers of course, <laughs> of course. they want yeah, to yeah. attract to come here and write about it and then uh, anyway that's a long process there will be influencers um yeah so so yeah and bill yeah of course uh, uh down there in central australia saying that uh, madison refuses to acknowledge that crime is the number one issue impacting central australian tourism and instead keeps working her budget package to market harder Remember, she had said that uh, it was really the interest rate rises that was killing tourism. It wasn't crime. Yeah, um, that's it. Yeah, so... Yeah, mortgage repayments have ruined it for everyone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not, said, not the fact that when you uh, go to sleep in your hotel room and wake up the next day and your car's on bricks, that's got nothing yeah, to do with it. Yeah, you're walking out and you get stabbed. <laughs> you just get stabbed. Yeah. Jesus. Anyway, uh, yeah, Yan said marketing would not be of any help if the anti-government were not effectively addressing those core issues that we know that, that yeah. have led to this and we know that they haven't been. So um, the facts are that we can't wait any longer if the territory government are serious about the need to allocate $1 million from their marketing budget into the voucher schemes to get more people into our hotels, venues, and visiting our tourism experiences, Yan said. Uh, we did contact Madison's office, and they did not respond. Whether or not that was a good idea, just take a million out of your overblown budget here. Just one word answer, yes or no. <laughs> yes, no. 
Maybe that's someone should just put a circle on and send it back to us. Uh, you don't even have to think. You don't even have to think. We know you guys don't like to think. You know. Yeah, yeah. Pick one. Throw a dart. That's what you're going to do. <laughs> yeah. I do yeah. hope that the uh, future treasurer did, uh, whenever he referred to the $1 million, put the little pinky in the mouth and do it Dr. Evil style. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't, I don't know. But, um, I, I thought it was funny that he was referenced there. It's, uh, it's the uh, shadow treasurer. He is, but the that was all part of a deal. Yeah. That's it. It's all part of a grand plan, Chris. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that, that they're just following and not asking any questions about and That's it. <laughs> We'd all be happier if we just did that. <laughs> I can't. I do have a uh, one solution, though, that no one's thought about, and that leads us into our next story. I mean, to get more tourists, why don't we just uh, – throw a big prize like they do for the million-dollar fish for uh, the Darwin Beer Can Regatta, which is being run this weekend. Ooh, yeah, that's right. I mean, talking like real money here. Putting yeah, money the, the, the Singapore those. Cup. The Singapore Cup was a largely small racing event once upon a time, yeah. and the government of Singapore realized that if they upped the ante on the prize money, then they'd get more people there attending, and that's exactly what happened. That seems like a really reasonable idea. Yeah, like that, that seems like something that they should be exploring. And we know that. That would be a can regatta. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it's part of the vernacular. Around yeah, it's the country. Everyone knows about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So why not do more? Um, yeah, you almost do like a state of origin style <laughs> race as well, you know, get yeah. all the states racing each other and getting the aggro in there. Uh, I think you just earned yourself a million dollars from the marketing budget there, Mr. Gowers. I love it. I love it. Not 35, <laughs> but I'll get there. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, look, yeah, because we know what's happening this Sunday coming up. Um, yeah. Now, this is, like we said, it's an iconic thing. You've got families out there doing this. Uh, we'll culminate in the Battle of Mindel. Visitors will be there. They'll see junior boat races. Uh what the defense and hospitality challenges, uh, I guess that's industry challenges, tug of war and running races, men's and women's thong uh, throwing competitions, kayak race, beach relay, uh, junior yeah. battle, Mendel. That's a type of footwear in Australia, Chris, before you yeah, giggle too much. Oh, yeah, I gotcha, I gotcha. Uh, and an Iron Man Woman competition, an Iron Person competition, they're calling it, as well as other events. Now, we know that this thing, I think, there's some comments made about, uh, you know, it's not actually made out of cans anymore. I think maybe early on it was. And, um, yeah, yeah, it was, definitely. Yeah, so, so some purists, you know, they're kind of throwing it over different things, but might be upset about it. And the good alcoholics, we know, surely would be outraged that <laughs> they're not allowing, like, plastic bottles and milk cartons. Oh, what? To be used, yeah. And I don't know, maybe that's because, the, I don't know, message for the kids or something. I, I don't something know. to do with recycling, maybe? or Maybe it's that uh, flavoured milk with the Irish whiskey that they used to put in there. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, keep the theme rolling. And why not the whiskey bottles, too? But they don't yeah. they don't promote that. They want the milk cartons and the plastic bottles. But what about the glass whiskey bottles? Yeah, and champagne, they float, they float yeah. well. Well, look, we, we love our drinking up here. We love our exactly. beer. Um, it's our territory sport. Yeah, that's it. And, yeah, I think we should just, no, it's just beer cans. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. it's just going to be beer cans. That's yeah. it. And I just say that. And you show up with your milk carton. Well, yeah, see you, you later. Can, you can race in the kids' event down the road, buddy. <laughs> yeah. 
this is for the real drinkers here. <laughs> um, anyway, yes, again, we know that uh, it began back in 74. Um, and the event raises funds, of course, for different charities, not-for-profit organizations, which is great. This year's regatta will support Care Flight and St. John Ambulance. The regatta will be held this Sunday from 10 to 5, gold coin entry fee. Um, so Huge get down there, check it out. Yeah. Good Absolutely. And the markets are always on too. They run all day and then at the normal time. And, yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. It's a real event. <laughs> if you're really lucky, you might get to see someone stung by an octopus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like one of those creepy ones. Those, yeah, yeah. Yeah, weird things that came up, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Yes, yes. I'm not uh, I'm not seriously wanting someone to get stung by one no, of those. But, no. uh, you know. but it would be funny. Yeah. <laughs> Particularly because I think it's human pee that uh, is what diffuses some of the stings. Uh, <laughs> if you do see that going on, they're actually helping them. They're not. Uh, anyway, let's leave it at that. <laughs> All right, Chris, just hang there for a second. And now it's time for the job files. Thanks to no one in particular. Uh, it never gets old, Chris. Never gets old. No, it's, it's wonderful. And if you do want to sponsor the uh, segment, like, feel free. You know, uh, yeah. I know we talked about seek.com.au coming on board once upon a time. <laughs> I haven't heard from them, Chris, surprisingly. Yeah. But, you know, there might be a, um, might be a, a territory based recruitment agency that might like to jump on board. We happily read out your uh, job of the week and we would even do it seriously so we're not making fun of it. But yeah. in the absence of that sponsor, we are going to make fun of this one. And uh, I actually switched this on you, Chris. This is uh, the old switcheroo, aren't they? The old switcheroo, yeah. This is a uh, policy advisor to Minister Lawler. So I'm bringing this up because remember last time we did a policy advisor not that many weeks ago? Uh, I was asking the question, how many of these people do we actually need? Right. Was was that for Chansey last time? It was, yep. So this time we're getting one for Minister Lawler. Um, it's being advertised by the office of the Chief Minister, which I always find it a bit weird why the Chief Minister's office advertises for the other ministers, but I guess they vet the candidates first in a very competitive process. <laughs> exactly, and that's where all the money's coming from to pay these jobs. They're paying the bills. Yeah. So this person oh. needs to provide a high-quality policy advice to the Minister on Public Policy and Reform Programs for the Northern Territory. The key responsibilities include provide political advice, evidence-based analysis. No, right? no, get out of here. No, that's that's not even true. That that's would be problematic. Nonsense. Yeah, no, that ain't happening. Commentary on public policy. We'll just listen to the podcast. We do it every week. <laughs> uh, with the main focus on education. Interesting. Okay. Manage and resolve policy issues and support the development of new policies and responses. Uh, develop and maintain productive working relationships with key stakeholders within government to ensure policy positions are communicated and externally, including developing stakeholder engagement plans. That doesn't actually make sense. That's no, they've put a couple of things together there, I think. Yeah, yeah that's Someone's weird. copied and pasted and not done yeah. it quite right. Yeah, and I thought because I thought you were going to say and build relationships with the media or something. I did too. It's yeah, exactly yeah, right. but that's not where it was going. It sort of diverted and then after the comma, it made no sense. Anyway, <laughs> uh, prepare briefings for matters related to the portfolio and parliamentary responsibilities. 
and uh, monitor the implementation of portfolio election and government commitments. Interesting. The gig is uh, open until uh, the 16th of July, which I reckon by the time this comes out, it'll be about... <laughs> we got a day. <laughs> yeah. And it'll kick off on the 7th of August or sooner, it says in brackets. Mm-hmm. It's good. Good news is there's no money advertised, so it's worth a mozza. And uh, yeah. you can apply through recruitment, ocm at nt.gov.au. There you go, Chris. That might be one for you to look at. <laughs> uh, oh, no, they need evidence-based stuff. Sorry. No. I was offered that when I got out of university, a job writing speeches for the Premier of Nova Scotia, yep. Canada, and which I quickly turned down and the guy who offered me said, I don't mean to insult you, but you know, we just like what you're doing and would you come and no, and you have insulted me and I'll never do that ever in my life. But, um, and I won't. And that was a long time ago. And I'll have to go back and think about that. (laughs) The choices I've made in the time since in the 20 some years since then. Um, yeah, but they seem to be really getting rid of a lot of their media advisors up here, uh, on the fifth floor recently. And that's, telling i guess a year out um from an election they're looking for new people i look we understand it's pretty toxic place up there these days and uh, Mm. has been for a long time and it's only gotten worse and the morale is low and i think parties stopped it's become even worse too yeah when you mean the the coke ran out uh (laughs) when 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 it all came out and they had to just went on the blink yeah it was um yeah, so, uh, yeah, I guess everybody's leaving and they got to get in whoever they can. It is a lot of money. Um, it would be a lot of work for some of the good ones. I was saying that to somebody the other day, like the best uh, kind of uh, advisors like that are the ones who know that it's kind of 24-7 almost. And yep. that's why they, they pay a lot. But uh, anyway, yeah, um, I think it just shows the government in decline here again. And there's people who won't understand if they get these people won't understand the context of everything that's happened over the past seven years now of this government hurtling towards a, uh, an election day in August next year uh, that we we just don't know what's going to happen yet. But you know, maybe we'll talk about that in greater detail at some point. Some kind of uh, we're getting close to, to that year mark, right? Of just being a year out from it. So absolutely, we will be talking about it um, as you and I have discussed. Uh, Many times we we will and we'll do it soon. We'll put together an episode where we talk about the various permutations of what may go on in yeah. in the lead up to the election, which is literally about thirteen months away or twelve months away now. Yeah, it's uh, we are hurtling towards it. Chris, one final question for you relates to when you knocked back that job in Nova Scotia. Was that what then got you banned to attend press conferences in Canada as well? <laughs> no, because that was a long time ago in Nova Scotia. And then okay. I, uh, 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 the, the premier one day when I was at university and I was uh, writing for the university paper, he mistook me for just a, a sweaty man on the street and uh, <laughs> and uh, came up and talked to me. And then I pulled up my recorder and started asking him questions for the paper. And um, Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, that might have even been before. Anyway, no, that I was fine in Nova Scotia. It was Alberta, and then and then here. Yeah. So um, no sense of humor in Alberta. Everyone knows that. <laughs> yeah. 
And um, yeah, and here we are here, uh, where we have to maintain a sense of humor to keep it from from getting too dark and too depressing with what's going on politically in this place, as we mm-hmm. said. So That's exactly uh, right. So as will become the new sign off from now on, Chris. Sharpen your sticks, and I'll catch you next week. (laughs) Thanks, Pete. We'll see you next week. That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Weekends with Walsh, you back again next week on the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. We'll catch you then. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition with Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. For more episodes, go to all your favourite podcasting platforms or head to territorystory.com.